right, welcome to the latest episode of the James Scott Henson podcast. Today is a cool one. I'm sitting here with Curtis Vanderpool. He is a life coach who specializes in helping people through difficult uh, spiritual transitions. Is that a fair way to put it? Yeah, yeah, that's not bad. Um, he does he does good work. He I, I follow him on Instagram, and we've had multiple conversations about the work he does. And he's actually he's somebody who I wish I had had somebody who does this kind of work. Um, I wish he'd been around in my younger life. I think it would have made a few things easier for me. So I'm excited to talk to him today, and I think it's going to be a worthwhile conversation for everybody to hear. So thanks for being here, man. Oh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Oh, I've been excited about it. I've been looking forward to it. We had a hard time getting this pulled together. Uh, I think we had this scheduled back pre 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 COVID. COVID. Yeah. yeah. And then, well, that kind of put a kink in things. Yeah, so. that put a kink in a lot of things, <laughs> yeah. didn't it? So I guess jumping right into it. I've I've always been upfront with you when I hear when I hear the word spiritual mm-hmm. in in connection with coaching and stuff like that, mm-hmm. it it sends up little alarm alarm bells for me just because I've seen a lot of people who have absolutely no business <laughs> coaching people on anything, right. but you call yourself a spiritual coach and you get away with a whole bunch of bullshit mm-hmm. because you can just couch it behind. Um, yeah, you can call it whatever you want. Yeah. Oh, I'm I'm divinely inspired. I'm divinely right. led. Oh, an angel told me. Uh, and I think that it's important for us to have that discussion because part of the reason you and I are having this discussion is because I do trust the work you do and mm-hmm. I, I do believe you. you help people. So how, how do you do spiritual coaching without moving off into the woo-woo white magic? Well, I mean, it's always a case-by-case basis. I, we focus a, I focus a lot on the individual in front of me, obviously. Right. Um, and everybody's got a different story. We've got some similarities here and there. Uh, a lot of people in the area that we live they have a Christian background, and right. I have a Christian background. Right. Uh, I still um, call myself a Christian, even though I'm not actively involved in like a church body or anything. Um, so a lot of people come from similar backgrounds, but really my focus is to try to help people navigate um, challenges, questions. A lot, of, a lot of my clients are challenging their faith. Like if they've grown up as a Baptist, um, they've got a far more conservative up, upbringing than most people do. And right. when you get older, you start to kind of question that. And a lot of churches or spiritual groups, um, they kind of frown upon questioning. Uh, they frown upon challenging the things that have been taught. And so I, I work a lot with people that they just can't ignore those questions anymore, but they don't really feel that they have a safe place Um to kind of explore other things or other ideas or belief systems. Um, A buzzword right now, especially amongst Christian circles, is deconstruction. That's the word I was about to bring up, actually. It sounds like you're deconstructing narratives. Yes. Okay. Yeah, 100%. Okay. And I I work to give people a safe space to do that and to just also kind of give them a balancing voice to not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Like, your spiritual life, your um, the faith that you've grown up with has had a, a... an important impact on your life right and there's been some negative things along the way and so we work to get rid of the negative narratives the false narratives right. and kind of help you find your own spiritual path your own journey um, that really works for you and connects you with uh, however you define the divine yeah I think that's like everything you said that there's there's so many important things you know they're the not throwing the baby out with the bathwater yeah. you know I I meet I meet two kind of atheists. Mm-hmm. I meet atheists who 
the idea of God simply doesn't make sense to them. Mm-hmm. And I get that. I, I get yeah, that. Absolutely. It's, uh, you know, evolution, the Big Bang, all that. Um, you know, consciousness as an epiphenomenon of matter. I've, I've read extensively on all that. And it makes sense to me. Then I meet atheists who don't believe in God because they're mad at him. <laughs> you <laughs> yeah. know? And it's like, it's... Which how can you be mad at someone you don't believe that's, in? That's <laughs> yeah, it's a strange thing. And when you get to talking to them, they'll say, or I mean, they used to say like, well, well, Christians are assholes, so yeah. I don't believe in God. That's a that that's, that doesn't line up logically, right. you know. Just because you don't like the expression of something does not mean that thing does not exist. Right. And so I like the not throwing the baby out with the bathwater thing, you know. And deconstructing narratives that's uh, I mean that's, that's central to the work I've always done. Mm-hmm. Of you know, mine are less geared towards like people's faith as much as like you know stories in their heads the stories they have about themselves right. i always do this i'll never be that so that's really cool and that's an important thing to be doing yeah um now if i remember from earlier conversations you did you work in a church at one point i, I did that right? well i mean I've, I've grown up in a church i've been on leadership different leadership circles in church since i was 13 and i mean i'm now 31 oh, wow. so okay I've, I've got a pretty extensive Experience leading and working and serving in a church. I've you got a solid pedigree to be doing this work. <laughs> I hope sure. so. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I was gonna say one of the things that uh, that really works for me and my clients is that I too have a lot of anger and frustration towards, especially the way that Christianity has been lived out or right. expressed, or how we hold so firmly to belief systems and not to um, the experience and the journey and the love that faith is supposed to lead us to. Right. Um, so I, I have some of that. So when people come and they share that with me and they hear that mm-hmm. I'm a Christian, I'm like, I get it. Right. I, but let's let's deal with it in healthy ways, right. not just in, you know, screw it all. But, yeah, so I worked in a church. Uh, I've worked in a couple of churches and a college ministry since I was 20. So okay. over 10 years. Um, and in that time, I've spent most of my time uh, coaching or discipling, as we would call it, right. um, working with people one on one and kind of yeah. helping them grow, not just spiritually but also personally. Right. And so I, you, I do you, work with some people that yeah. this is purely um, the things that we say to ourselves, yeah. the ways that we treat and view ourselves, right. and not so much about the spiritual life. But. When you can't develop one without the other. Oh yeah. You know, and that's I think that uh, the physical, the mental, the emotional, the spiritual, like. You can't pull one out. Right. You know, I think that I do meet people who are almost purely intellectual, pure mm-hmm. intellect. They're deeply emotionally immature mm-hmm. a lot of the time. I meet people who are deeply physically unhealthy. That affects them emotionally. Yeah. You know, um, uh, I, the people I, I used to, it was the expression, uh, so spiritually minded as to be of no earthly good. Yes. You know? Oh, man, um, who said that? I remember my dad used to say it to me about yeah. something. I don't remember who, what. I don't remember who said it though. But that's a that's a big problem. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I, you know I teach meditation and stuff, and that's something meditation gets tagged with a lot. Is you know, um, if you go to a cave and you meditate uh, for twenty years, like, oh, well, who have you helped? You know, right. And so that's where the more woo woo stuff comes in mm-hmm. that you're changing the vibration, and, the, and maybe you are. I don't have access to that knowledge, but all those things work in. They work together. They're right. interrelated. And yeah, so, absolutely. And the other thing I hear from you is that you're part of the tradition. Mm-hmm. So you are, you're, you're kind of pushing from the inside out, you know, um, as opposed to pushing from the outside in where, you know, that's, that's automatically threatening to people. Right, yeah. You know, I think of Richard Rohr. I mean, he's so effective. Yes. Because he is, he's deeply embedded in the tradition. He owns that. He doesn't, he doesn't 
at all claim that he's not part of the right. tradition. Yeah, he'll even and say, yeah. I'm not a very good Catholic, but, yeah. <laughs> like, but yeah. I am a Catholic. But I am a Catholic. This is my life. And he's, like a free, he's, he's like a monk, and, yeah. but he's saying. Um, but he is. He's, he's at that kind of outer positioning. And that's right. where the mystics have always been. Um, they've always been part of the tradition, but on the edge. Right. And yeah, so, and that's I've always felt... It's one of the things that I talk about a lot is I've always felt kind of on the outside, kind of on the outskirts yeah. of community, of um, spiritual life, spiritual circles that I've been a part of because I've, it's been deeply ingrained in me and it's such a huge part of who I am. And people right. will ask me, um, with the things you believe, why are you still a Christian? And I just tell them, because I am, right. like, because this has been my life right. and I love it. Right. I don't love what it does sometimes but it's made me who I am and I like who I am and I tried to really change the system and change some of the things that I thought were um, harming people more than helping them I tried to change that from within I tried to change that from a position on staff in churches and, and it really just wasn't working you know when people have a system that they like and it works for them they don't really like that being challenged right but what was still happening was people were constantly leaving not just church but they would leave uh, community the community that's healthy for them they right. would leave healthy practices um, and and eventually some of them would leave their faith altogether right and in fact 37 million people in America alone uh, still identify as Christian they still identify as having a relationship with um, Jesus but they want nothing to do with church or church right. groups or church organizations. And so that number is growing. And I was like, those are the people that I connect with. Yeah. And so rather than trying to change a system from within, uh, where I am now is I'm just going and I'm grabbing these people and saying, hey, before you run off completely, before you give up this thing that has made you who you are, right. let's talk about another way to view it, another way to do it. You know, it's not you're either a believer or you're not. You're not either a Christian or an atheist. You're not conservative or liberal or whatever. Like, there's always a third way to see things. There you so go. that's a lot of what I'm doing is trying to help people see, like, there's a, a different way. There's a third way to view your faith and mesh it with where you are in your life now. Right. You know, it's, it's, it's the nature of institutions to resist change. Yes, That's what makes absolutely. them institutions. Right. And I think that we're seeing the consequence of that. In, you know, it's, it's I don't, I don't, like... All I do is talk to people. That's my whole life is talking to people. And I almost never talk to somebody who, because one of the questions I ask, I'll say, so, you know, what's your what's your social group like? Do you And in Lubbock, that's your church. It's right. the church or the bar. Yeah. That's the two options here. <laughs> If yeah. you're not if you're not at if you're not in school in Lubbock, then it's the church or the bar. So I'll say, you know, do you have a church? And everybody, almost across the board, if they have a church, they want to immediately explain mm -hmm. that, like they almost want to apologize for it. Right. They want to say, "Well, I mean, yeah, I have a church, and but I go for the community. I like the people." It's they're not they're not ashamed of being Christian. They're not ashamed of what they believe. But I think increasingly people are ashamed of the church itself. Yeah. And the church, you know, I'm watching different ways they respond to it. In working with a pretty strong institutional body, I watched as their narrative was, how do we co-opt this? Yes. You know, they would talk about, it was funny, they'd talk about millennials, and they would say they're just so missional. And they'd say missional the same way you'd say, like, like it was molester or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're like, oh. And wanting to figure out how to co-opt 
right. that missional spirit of the mm-hmm. millennials. You know, it's like, oh, they just want to help people. How can we steer that to our own ends? It was right. it's icky, you know. Yeah. Then right. you see other parts of the institution that are trying to adapt and trying to change. And they're having to contend with, they're having to sort out, like, what are our core values? What are the things we cannot compromise on? Right. I think that what you're doing is is increasingly important because a lot of people, like, when, when you have this thing hit you that, wait, I'm, I'm not about what this group is about anymore, the need to leave becomes more and more urgent mm-hmm. to you. Mm-hmm. And so having this third way is is important. Yeah, it's just it's just healthier. Absolutely. You know, it's it's healthier for you now. It's healthier for your relationships that are tied up in this. Right. And it's certainly healthier for your future because, you know, when you've got something that's as uh, big a part of your life as, you know, say my faith has been for me. Right. And then to experience some kind of shock to that system or trauma, whether it was something that happened or I just realized I couldn't support it anymore. Like, right. that's, it's almost like going through a tragedy or going through grief. It's absolutely but going most to of us are yes. not grieving absolutely. well. Right, right. <laughs> We're just getting mad and saying, well, F that. Right. Um, but we don't leave the anger phase. Right. Yeah. And that just, that's that's understandable in the moment and for a time. But if it's left, uh, not if it's not dealt with, over time it grows and grows and grows and it turns into something cancerous. There you go. And so that's really why I'm focusing on this is I'm trying to say like, hey, for your health and for the health of your future family and your friend group and you know the people that are in your life now like let's let's work on this um and try to find a way that works for you that isn't just in or out this or that so what would you say to the inevitable accusation of oh so you're just helping people find whatever works for them that's not christianity well that's fair for people to say that um one of the things that a lot of Christians don't like when I say is in the Christian faith, like one of the key tenets in my opinion is trusting God or trusting the Holy Spirit. Right. And that he's, you know, the Holy Spirit's the one that we say lives and moves and breathes in and among us. And he inspires us and he leads us and guides us. And um, from what I see in scripture and in Christian tradition, tradition is that we are to entrust everything to him. Mm-hmm. So when I talk about my experience of God, you know, I could talk about people that impacted me, but at the end of the day, I feel like I've encountered God myself yeah. personally. Personal relationship. Because he revealed himself to me right. over and over and over again. And so when I'm working with people and someone wants to say, well, you're just letting them do whatever. You're just letting them find their own way. I, I kind of want to say, yeah, I, I am. Right. Because everyone has to find their own way to God. And in my belief, God draws all people to himself. And so it's not my job to get them to Jesus. It's my job to show them love, to show them grace, to show them how to um, have healthy relationships with themselves, with others, and with their idea of God. To show them Christ. Yeah, I just show them. Yeah, I just show them what I do what Jesus would do. Right. And I take who they are and I love them as they are. And I try to show them a healthier way. But ultimately, it's their choice to go or not. And it's not going to do any good if I say, well, your beliefs are wrong. You've got to believe in this belief about Jesus and this belief about Scripture and this belief of the church. Right. That's not going to do them any good. Yeah. They've got to come to a place where they can own it. And so all I can do is kind of walk with them through that. And that's I think that's one of the really tough things for institutional uh, institutional bodies to deal with. 
I'd say, I'd say especially like the Catholic Church. And, mm-hmm. and I love, uh, there's so many things about the Catholic Church I love. The practice oh, yeah, of the absolutely. presence of God, the cloud of unknowing, yes. those are masterworks in my opinion. Richard Rohr is somebody who I will listen to a podcast I've never heard of because he's on it. Absolutely. But they are the ultimate form of putting an intermediary between people and God. Mm-hmm. Going back to where people they the people couldn't even read the Bible. All right. Um, and now you know you, you go to the you go to the priest and you confess and there's that there's a very clear inter- intermediary. Mm-hmm. But that's that's still carried on in the Protestant churches. Mm-hmm. Um, they just do it under the guise of authority. Well, yeah. God has given me this authority right. to tell you about God. Right. And so I think that's the that is probably the thing that scares institutions the most is this thing about wait they could just go around us yes you know they no longer need us right because what happens it, when they don't need us right but I'd say if they don't need you then you're not providing the right thing people right. always want community they always want to be with people who share their beliefs mm-hmm. they want to be around people who are gonna you know sharpen them iron sharpens iron right. a cord of three strands you know it's in the Bible <laughs> um, people want that people desire right. that they do. but. But the institutions are clinging to that authority, and it's not working anymore. I mean, more and more people, like you said, that that the last was it was it the Pew poll, the number of people who um, who who are leaving. Yeah, you said uh, no. They still have a spiritual, faith but not religious. Right. Yeah. And, and that's specifically people that believe in Jesus. Right. That's not even people that are just vaguely spiritual. Just leaving God. completely. Yeah. Thirty-seven either. million Americans. Ten percent. Yeah, that's 10% crazy. Of our country. Right? Yeah. Well, and it's sad because I think that I, I personally think people need some kind of framework. Mm-hmm. You know, the people who I've met who create their own framework, if they're not brilliant, like spiritual geniuses, they wind up in a mess. Well, and Richard Rohr, you know, he's the he's kind of the father of the deconstruction uh, lingo these days. Okay, um, and he'll always say that the best upbringing for the construction phase you know you start with construction you construct your faith and kind of your worldview of god and people and mission then you deconstruct it um, start to pick it apart and then you reconstruct it to something stronger and better yeah he talks about that all the time but he always says that in the construction phase more strict and conservative the the sharper lines the better because at that age and right. at that stage of development, you've got to know what are my boundaries. Right. Like, yeah. And so that's what, what I hear you saying is a, a better f- a framework <laughs> is needed. Um, the problem is when that framework gets too restrictive, too limiting. And right. one of the things that you know, you're saying um, about the institution resisting change, as a Christian, you know, our main thing is if I'm going to quote Jesus, he says, go and make disciples. Right. He didn't say go and make converts. He said go and make, make disciples, which a disciple is someone that follows you and watches you and learns and observes and, and becomes a lot like you, but then starts to innovate it and make it his or her own. Right. Um, and so it's this lifelong process of teaching and guiding and training. And the church has done a miserable job in that. because, right. And this is one of the reasons, in my opinion, because when you do that, you're teaching them to not no longer need you. Right. I don't need Sunday morning worship to connect with God. I don't need a pastor to tell me what Scripture says. I can read it for myself and interpret it on my own. Right. But if we do that, then they leave. Right. And if they leave, their wallets leave. There you go. And if their wallets leave, my salary leaves. Right. And so it's this whole thing that's 
really rooted in fear of, oh my gosh, what if we, what yeah. if we can't support this anymore? And it's, I'd, I'd agree with you 100. percent And I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even angle that as a criticism. No, not at the all. Church. Of course they, of course they want to I survive. I mean, people got to eat. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, I see it. I see it in counseling. I see it in coaching where people, it's it, our whole job, in that is to is to make ourselves. Uh, unnecessary yes. you know we want that person 100%. but when that person leaves the the money leaves as well and right. so I see that I see I see I talk to counselors and I talk to coaches who struggle with that mm-hmm. of uh, you almost there's a thing inside of you that you want to cultivate dependence yes the thing is is that in a spiritual context you can do that because you can say you know they can appeal to this God-given right. authority I'm your authority yeah. yeah and so I think I know it's hard for them but it doesn't change the fact that the way they're doing it's simply not working. It's, oh, yeah. You know, we're seeing that well, demographically. And from a Christian leader viewpoint, um, it's not trusting God. It's trusting yourself. It's saying, right. um, I have got to make this work. And right. if, I, if I don't make it work, I'm not going to make money and I'm not going to provide for my family. Yes. Well, a, a belief and a trust in God says that like he will take care of those things. Yeah. Um, and the we lilies don't have of the field to, and the birds. We don't have know, to create. They're all, they're all good. Yeah, we don't have to create a congregation that's dependent on us. Right. Um, we trust God for that. Right. So, it's and there's just been so many people, time after time, they think that their story is unique, that the church hurt them, of or course, manipulated yeah, them, yeah. or lied to them. Right. And they just think that they're the only ones that ever dealt with that. And then when we sit down and talk. Yeah. They're like, oh my gosh, I'm not alone. Right. I'm like, oh no, there's millions. Yeah, there's actually more of you than yeah. everybody else now. Yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So it's it's good. It's good work. It's hard work. Yeah. Um, but it really, even people that don't come to a faith in Jesus or anything real concrete, you know, they can leave with, if nothing else, a sense of um, a place to start healing from some of that. Right. Or a place to start grieving that healthily. Um, and a lot of them, what I've discovered, especially with a Christian background, is this kind of hatred towards self. Right. And it's rooted in the very foundations of the belief that we've been taught, oh, which of is course. that we're sinners yeah. and we need a Savior. You're and a so, wretched worm and yeah. Jesus had to die for you. And every time you sin, he's suffering on the cross. Right. Uh, which that's not necessarily something I believe, which is yeah. one of the reasons people say, are you yeah. even a Christian? But what it turns into is this, like, I'm worthless and right. everything I do is, is garbage. Right. And so even if we're not talking about faith, just working on reframing the way that we view ourselves. There you go. In Genesis, God said that he made man and it was very good. He also says that he was made in his image. All this stuff in Genesis. It yes. was good. It was good. Everything it was good. Was good. And these people are good and God does this and he's happy. But, yeah. uh, but he actually kind of thinks you're a piece of shit and he hates you. <laughs> Yeah, um, and he wants to murder you. Right. But if he can't murder you, he'll murder his son instead. Right. But he'll still be watching over you with the magnifying glass waiting right. for you to screw up. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he loves you enough that he's going to send his son. Right. Like, he loves you that much. And yeah. his son loves you. But they're both mad at you. Yes. And, um, well, I, I don't remember who said it. I'm going to say Rob Bell because it sounds like Rob Bell. But the idea that uh, a lot of Christians really believe that Jesus came to save them from God. Yes. That line. From the wrathful God the Father. That line was a bullet through my brain because Absolutely. that's that's exactly what I believed my whole life. Yeah. Jesus was cool. Jesus was nice. He carried lambs around and fed people and all yeah. that stuff. But God God was a genocidal maniac. Yeah, scared to death of God. Right. 
And, and what's, what's crazy yeah. to me about that is even if we believe that, right. let's say, okay, fine, God, God the Father's a homicidal crazy person, right. but Jesus saved us from him. Right. Well, then we talk about our sins being forgiven and that we are wiped clean, and Hebrews even says that we have been made perfect, right. which Christians all the time say, well, I'm not perfect. Well, Hebrews says you are, but whatever. Right. We believe that Jesus saved us and forgave us forever but then the next time we do something that we think is bad we're like ashamed we're mortified at best we're begging god for forgiveness like could you ever forgive me wait 10 minutes ago you said that he already forgave you forever right so there's just a whole lot of things that don't line up that conversation with people all the time is that they people are constantly trying to convince me that well no no you don't understand how bad i am Yes. And it's yes. I no, get I really it all do. the time. Yeah, all the yeah. time. Did you have you seen the movie The Witch? The Witch. I don't it, think so. It's, it's it messed me up. But the it, this this Puritan family is booted from their community. They or they leave maybe, but they go off into the woods and they're 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 harassed and kind of just menaced by this witch. Mm-hmm. And that's part scary. But the scariest part about it to me was how much they hated themselves. Just the complete self hatred. And I see this, and I, I tell people all the time that if the most difficult conversations I have with people, I talk to people about pornography, about the fact that they're cheating on their spouse, about drinking and drug problems. We I have very open, honest, clear conversations right. with people about difficult things. But the number one hardest thing for people to talk to me about is self-compassion. People get angry at me. I have had people yell at me. Um, like this rage comes up inside of them when I suggest when you suggest self-compassion that's you either get like this blank look like whoa how is that a thing or they get angry and I think that that's when that ego kicks up and it's like I've got to protect them from this this is terrifying but that self and I think so much of that goes back to the the, the, I'm going to do air quotes Christian foundation of our country of you're a worm God gave you life. You screwed it up. Mm-hmm. Jesus was tortured because of you. You are preserved in imperfection mm-hmm. um, until Jesus comes back and you evacuate. The idea of self-compassion in that is probably dangerous to them. Like it's probably yeah. the path to hell. I have found it's the path to heaven. That's mm-hmm. the path to the kingdom of God is self-compassion. Absolutely. And compassion for every single thing that other people are going through. Yeah, it's my, a tough uh, conversation, man. I have a, a mentor, or a spiritual father, whatever you want to call him, that I've... Uh, he His family has become my family. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we do holidays with them, birthdays with them. Yeah. Um, and the very first time I met with him, he's also a licensed counselor. Mm-hmm. And so I asked him if I could meet with him because I was going through um, some addiction stuff. Yeah. And, and I met with him and everybody said, oh, you're meeting with that guy? He will make you bawl your eyes out. And I sat with him for an hour, and I was ready because I'm a crier. Okay. When I need to cry, I'll cry. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I sat there forever, waiting for for the shoe to drop and right. for him to make me cry. And just nothing. I mean, we talked about you know diet, exercise, and sleeping habits. And right. I was like, okay, whatever. And then at the end, he said, "This is going to be a long journey, and it's going to be difficult, and you're gonna you're gonna make a lot of mistakes." He said, so the one thing that you absolutely must have for this to work is you're going to have to have some grace for Curtis. There you go. And there was something about him saying my name yeah. and not saying for yourself. Yeah. 
about him saying you're gonna have to have grace for Curtis it was like I, the first time I was looking at Curtis standing in front of me and I realized how hard I was on him and how much I hated who he was and right when he said that I lost it and I think I ended up paying for another hour because I, <laughs> I cried so yeah. much <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah that started my whole journey to there healing and reconciliation with myself with my faith with my family yeah. um, and some people that have been you know big spiritual impact on me like was learning to have grace for myself and my screw-ups and then by doing that having grace for them and for their mistakes and we can't have grace for other people if we can't have it for ourselves not at all and we can but it's just a whole bunch of bullshit yeah, that it's, we're just, it's so mechanical we're making it up yes that's I've found that that uh, how we do one thing is how we do everything yeah and that's you know in meditation the thing that uh, people laugh because I you I say over and over no judgment no criticism no mm-hmm. judgment no criticism because I view meditation as an opportunity to show grace for ourselves. It's hard to sit there and keep your mind on one thing. Yeah. And the ego starts throwing everything at you that it can. Hey, remember that thing you did in seventh grade? <laughs> yes. And it's a constant work of compassion for ourselves. Mm-hmm. But that starts to spread out to other people in an organic way. Instead of this, well, Jesus loved me, or the Buddha said compassion is good. It's a, it's just a, it's a thing that emerges yeah. just from who you're becoming. And so I think that sounds like... If, if all a person came to you for was to learn to have self-compassion, yeah, that would be worth it. That I, I was asked once, what do you want to be known for? Not mm-hmm. what do you want to do with your life, but what yeah. do you want to be known for? Yeah. And I wrestled with that, and the first thing that came to mind was, I want to be the guy that people say, he taught me how to be kind to myself. There you go. Uh, because that has just changed my life. It's, yeah. it's kind of the chicken or the egg thing. Right. Like being gracious with myself helped me see the grace of God. Right. The grace of God helped me see, have grace for myself. There you go. And then those two together has just changed the way that I interact with They're people. They're self-reinforcing. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, one thing I think would be important for people is that right now, everything we're talking about is abstract. It's, right. uh, it's hard to get a picture of what you do. So if you're cool with it, let's let's just kind of go through a deconstruction exercise. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, I mentioned earlier that I wish I'd had somebody like you in my life when I was younger. I grew up in the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a as far as people go, I had a great experience. The The adults that raised me, I was raised by a whole group of adults. I think they genuinely loved me. They genuinely cared about me. But I did not, the church did not answer things for me. That's, that's, God, that's always been one of my frustrations with Christianity in general right. is that they say, do these things. Jesus said, do these things. They never told you how. In, from, in my life, Buddhism has been the how. Yeah. Buddhism has taught me, Zen Buddhism has taught me how yeah, to approach people in love. Yeah, how to be peaceful how to all those things mm-hmm. that that's been that's been the effective way to the how for me but i did go through a phase um oh, it's probably 23 or 24 where complete disillusionment led me to throw the baby out with the bathwater mm-hmm. and it's probably a year or two in there of complete materialist atheism which okay. i'm not knocking it's just it's it's not suited for me right. uh, it it doesn't answer the questions for me so if young james had come to you and said, Christianity isn't answering these questions for me. I don't like the way it treats gay people. I think there is systemic racism throughout it in our country. Um, and I'm done with it. And they can all go to hell. Okay. How would you work with young James? Well, I mean, the first thing is 
validating some of the experiences, some of the feelings, really, and mo- emotions behind that is, yes, there is definitely systemic racism um, in Christianity. There is definitely um, some uh, a lot of homophobia. Um, I would say that a lot of that is rooted in not understanding and kind of reminding us who we're talking about. Like, my dad is a wonderful, kind, gentle, um, welcoming man. He was a counselor at a high school for 15 years. Um, but he, he still says things and uses words and phrases that I can tell came from his dad, right? Who had an eighth grade education. And, you know, my dad grew up in the sixties. Um, and so to remember like the words that we use, we were taught the words that they use, they were taught. Absolutely. The, um, the paradigm that we have toward racism and homophobia is not the same that our parents and their parents had. Right. And so that's, that it goes back where we just, we work on having grace. We work on like, um, have the grace that you extend towards yourself whenever you make mistakes or say things that you don't mean, um, or that they get misinterpreted and then learning to have that grace for others while still not allowing it or, or accepting it. Okay. Um, so, yes, we have to acknowledge Christians are totally effed up. Right. But what about your experience as a Christian was not? What about your experience was beautiful, was lovely, was wonderful? Right. Um, for me, it was things like, I mean, very cliche, being at church camp. Uh, I really do believe that I experienced God himself and mm-hmm. what I experienced was love and acceptance right. for me. And that it was so vital that now I look at church camp and I'm like, this is manipulative. It's emotional. It's, <laughs> right. I mean, it's ridiculous. Right. Get kids out in a week for a week where life is not at all what it's like yeah. day to day, yeah. convince them that God is here and um, now go home and change your life. Like that's horrible. You got to be on fire. Yes. When you go back. Yeah. 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 But that does not discredit that I experienced radical love and acceptance right. for me in that place. And that's a good example of where, once again, the structure yeah. doesn't negate the experience. Right. You know, and I think that that was probably something I did was I just it was it was simpler for me at the time. Just to throw everything out, mm-hmm. just to um, just to be done with it, mm-hmm. just because it was there was too much. Like I wasn't, I don't think I was at a place where I could handle the gray. And it sounds like what you would do is you'd introduce the gray area again, but in a way that's much more yeah the, workable. <laughs> did you? This is going to be ridiculous, but did you ever read the Percy Jackson book series? Read the first two, I think. Okay, yeah. so they're all rooted in Greek mythology, right, right? Right. He's like the son of Poseidon, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Uh, and I'm. This is a total spoiler alert, but you know, it's a kids' book, so yeah. if you haven't read it, it's go been read out forever. It, if you haven't read it yet, it's yeah. on you. Uh, but in the last book, he he goes to the river Styx because you know the um, mythology there is that if you bathe in the river Styx, uh-huh. that you become invincible. Oh, kind of like Achilles. Achilles yeah. bathed in the river Styx. Um, but the the trick is that the river sticks will disintegrate you. It will kill you unless mentally, spiritually, emotionally, you tether yourself to something in the real world. Okay. And so he jumps in the river sticks, and, and what tethers him to the real world and keeps him from perishing is the love and friendship of his little community that he has built. Right. Um, 
like that love, that acceptance tethers yeah. him and he comes out stronger and more invincible than before. Right. So with deconstruction, I would I'd talk with you about like what are the things that were real? What right. were the things that were valuable, that there were healthy go. to you? And these are the things that have to tether you to the real world, have to tether you to um, some idea of faith or that experience. And then everything else can get washed away. And, well, and I'm okay with that. Yeah. Everything else is just form. Major on the majors. Let yes. everything else go. Yeah. The, we always say um, sacred meaning, not sacred form. Oh, nice. And yeah. so now we would, then we would talk about like, okay, so what is a form that works better for you? Right. Meditation has worked a lot better for me. Yeah. to connect with the divine than reading scripture and journaling or right. than sitting in a church service for an hour exactly. in clothes that I'm not even comfortable in. Like, yeah. Um, and so we always just find something to tether you to who you are and to that experience that was beneficial and healthy for you. And then, um, then, then we'll work together to find some kind of form that will work for you going forward, whether it's meditation, yeah. whether it's a different denomination maybe a different faith for a while, whatever. Right. Um, but we, we do want to focus on where was God? Where was the idea of God, the experience of something better? There you go. Um, rather than focusing so much on the negative. And, and that's, that's, uh, that's hard work. Yeah. Because yeah. the human brain is it's created to focus on negative. It's like, um, it's like uh, Velcro I, on any negative thought. I, We're I stuck. Was, I'd say this all the time and all the mindfulness training I, I, like the video I was recording when you came in that was literally the last thing I said is that the unfortunate truth is that an anxious brain is much more beneficial to survival than a happy brain Yeah. and so the, the, the mind <laughs> yes. has a strong negativity bias because yeah. um, the example I always use if, if I'm, I come up to a field and I'm in an area of the country where there's snakes there's two mistakes I can make I can believe there are snakes in the field when there are not or I can believe there are not snakes when there are if I think there are snakes and there's not, I creep through the field, I'm very, you know, I'm Cautious. stressed out, and I'm listening, yeah. you know, get to the other side, I'm exhausted, I'm stressed, I'm alive. I decide there are not snakes and there are, I die. Right. And the, the brain does that with everything. Everything. And so and I think you can absolutely see that in regard to religion because I don't know that there's anything that has the potential to scar people the way it does. I mean, I, I, I'm not exaggerating when I say when I was five and six years old, I remember waking up in the middle of the night terrified of hell mm. I was also terrified of heaven because they say oh you're going to spend eternity in worship and I hated the singing it part of church so boring. I still hate the singing part <laughs> of church yes um, yeah that sounds awful like it, it sounded like the way I felt growing up was that okay I just blinked into this world and I have to play this game and if you lose it sucks if you win it sucks what's the point it, it was this existential crisis right. to me and it's it's deep enough that if I wake up in the middle of the night now, it's still one of my first thoughts. Mm -hmm. Working with people, um, man, like I, I, I have, for the longest time, I had this deep fear of leading people astray. Yeah. You know, I would never intentionally lead somebody astray, but I had people bringing these very legitimate concerns to me. Well, uh, and, so, and so here's the thing, sorry to interrupt. No, but, please. Because you just said I had this deep-seated fear of leading people astray. Mm. How do you think pastors feel? I would hope they have that fear. Yeah. So that they don't, because the one the people who worry me are the ones who think they've got it on speed dial. Right. Well, and here's the problem: is we are humans, we are fear based creatures, yeah. and fear is it's not the healthiest motivator, yeah. 
but it is the most effective motivator. And that is going to drive them towards orthodoxy. It's going to drive them towards setting firm boundaries and saying, go. this is exactly what we believe, and right. if you if you don't believe it, you're going to hell and you're out. Right. And I've never understood that. Like, okay, if they're going to hell, why are you kicking them out? And it's this, like, guilty yeah. by association there idea. You go. Can't let them infect the flock. Yeah, yeah. and so that's, that's why we draw boundaries, and we... Yeah. Um, we have homophobics and racist yeah. and uh, but when you realize that that is rooted in a fear of totally screwing it up and ruining people's eternity and I put that in air quotes yeah ruining their eternity right you can kind of have some grace for them because they're doing all of this out of fear and they're feeling all this weight and this pressure. Oh, the, the, the pastors. Yes. Oh my God, yes. I couldn't do that job. Right. Like that. It's miserable. Yes. So once you realize like, yeah. oh, they're doing this because they're afraid, yeah. then, then to me, the enemy is no, no longer the pastor. It's right. no longer the guy that said that. Yeah. It's now fear itself. And that, you know, the other thing that people hate, um, I've actually found out that like I have clients who know each other and the uh, they have a hashtag they share Uh-oh. that's fuck you James <laughs> <laughs> and at first that hurt my feelings uh, but then I found out it's because I say things that that are true but they don't like right but one of those things that I that the uncomfortable truths I call them is that I'm increasingly learning that there are no villains mm-hmm. um the pastors are not villains. They're fear. They're, they're yes. acting out of fear, and they're, they're trying to push back against that fear. A lot of them are hedging their bets. Well, I mean, uh, if a person follows Jesus, and they do all these, and they follow these rules, the worst-case scenario is that <laughs> there is no God, and there's nothing, you know? Right. Whereas this other thing where we're talking about trusting God on your own and stuff like that, you get this wonderful, full relationship with God here on earth, but, but you're going to get that in heaven anyway. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So it makes it's very it's actually very pragmatic. Mm-hmm. Approach, but you know, I love reading. Um, I read a lot of biographies, like I love World War One, World War Two, you know. And the thing that strikes me is that even like the worst people are doing what they think is right. Yeah. Oh, they've just got they've just got a shitty idea of what right and wrong. No are. one yeah. ever did evil thinking. You know what? I'm gonna like, really screw up the world today. It, it drove me nuts when I was a kid with the X Men. You had the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, but Magneto, like Magneto's like the the. He's the Christ figure in his story. Yep. Like, why would you call yourself evil? And so later, like, as, you know, comic books when I was a kid were much more simplified. Mm-hmm. They actually had to rewrite that later, and they did it. Was like a, it was like an ironic reappropriation of the word evil. They had to explain it because we are coming to realize that people don't do evil for the sake of evil. Right. Evil is a self-negating concept. I think C.S. Lewis talks about uh, you can have the perfect God, but there cannot be a perfect devil. Because the devil, by doing what he wants to do, is doing something good for himself and therefore cannot be pure evil. Good can build upon itself. Evil can only subtract right. from itself. Yeah. And so I fully believe that. I fully believe that. I have um, – it's, it's, it's hard for me to have the discussion sometimes because I have compassion for, um, for everything I see. Like when I see somebody who has been brutalized by life to the point that they are – Violent. That makes me really yes, sad. I still absolutely. think sometimes we have to remove them from society to protect everybody, but we don't have to hate them in that. Right. Um, the just everything. I've never found a place where I where there's no room for compassion. Right. Um, and compassion doesn't mean that there's no boundaries. It doesn't mean there's no consequences. Yes, one hundred percent. And so I'm with you on that. It just I think means that, that you yeah. can see the pain that has created go. that, and and yeah. that you can identify with that. Like that, I have done yes. stupid things out yep. of my pain and my fear. It's all but driven by suffering. Ultimately, evil is always just the 
um, perversion of the good. There you go. And so I know that we're, we got way off track, and I'm not sure that I ever answered your deconstruction question, what? but I would ask you, what yeah. was good? Yeah. You know, you're talking about the things that were bad. Right. What was good in your upbringing? You did. You were, you were deconstructing the narratives mm-hmm. uh, that, because I had these narratives that I had growing up, and then I started pushing against them, but I was just pushing against them with another narrative. Yeah. And so, um, so no, I think it was worthwhile. You know, I absolutely see th- just the value in the deconstruction. I think, you know, I've, I've mentioned on here before, you know, I was, a, I was a, when I first started counseling, I was a purely narrative therapist, right. which is all about deconstructing those narratives and learning to plot points in a new story until you plot enough points that the new story becomes real. Yes. And so I, I love the work you're doing. I love the, the not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. That's a phrase I use all the time mm-hmm. because I think that we get fed up with something and it's so much easier to just say, I'm out. Right. Screw it. Screw, screw it. Screw all y'all. Screw everything associated with it. But as humans, we don't do well with a vacuum. Mm-hmm. And another thing I tell people all the time, if you remove something from your life, if you do not actively put something else in its place, the ego is going to fill it with something not helpful. Um, I watch people all the time. They, they, they cut pornography out of their life and start eating horribly or they you just know, they replace st- one addiction with yeah, another. Yeah, they stop right. drinking and, and game themselves Absolutely. into oblivion. And so, and those are the mild examples. But, um, so I love that. They're not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. But we're, you know, we're coming up on, on, the, on the end of the podcast here. I think what's most important is I want to make sure people know how to get in touch with you in okay. case they want to work with you. I'm, I want to encourage everybody here, if, you, if there is something that has resonated with you in this, reach out to Curtis. There's, uh, there's, it's hard for me to find people that I, that I recommend. It's hard for me to find people that I refer to in this business. If something resonated with you, this is somebody you can reach out to. So how do people learn more about you? How do people get in touch with you? Uh, there's a, a couple of ways they can get a hold of me. Um, first off, you can always find me through my website. It's curtisvanderpool.com. Uh, Curtis is with a K. Uh, one of the big ones right now is Instagram. I have a lot of people that I connect with on Instagram. Most of my clients I've gotten through there. He's got one of the more worthwhile Instagrams out there. Like I actually pay attention to what he posts. Oh, well, thank you. So Appreciate that. And it, it's just at Curtis Vanderpool. Vanderpool. V-A-N-D-E-R-P-O-O-L? P-O-O-L. Gotcha. That's it. Curtis with a K. Mm-hmm. And then uh, my email address is Curtis at Curtis Vanderpool. Okay. It's very easy. There you go. And I'll... if you're in town, if you're in uh, Lubbock and you want to um, – connect with me more personally then I don't mind giving you my phone number you can call me you can text me if you call me I probably won't answer it the first time just to be honest Um, but that's 806-790-5469 cool and I'll put all of these in the show notes um, so they'll be easy for people to find so uh Curtis, I appreciate you taking the time to come. Thank do you so this. much. I really appreciate it. Yeah. I, I will say one one last thing. You know, we use the phrase, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. Most of the people in my life that have said that um, have forgotten that we've got to get rid of the bathwater. There you go. Um, and so I, I I am big on, hey, let's get rid of the bathwater, but let's keep what needs to be that is, kept. That is a super important qualification because when I hear somebody say, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, it's usually they just want to keep everything it's a statement of maintaining the status quo absolutely yes okay yeah um thank you for having me i really enjoyed this i i had a blast so we'll do this again um but in the meantime if there's if there's anything that resonated with you don't hesitate to reach out to him thanks for listening take care